0: I want to thank uh, all with any responsibility for the conference again for allowing us the privilege of being here, me, my wife, and Zandi, who's been with us. We thank you. It's been a tremendous encouragement to us. I know to me personally, it is like what Paul says in the book of Romans, mutual edification, a mutual upbuilding and encouragement. I've enjoyed uh, meeting some new folks, I've enjoyed renewing some acquaintances from several years ago, seeing some of you whose families have expanded, and uh, it's been a real joy, and we again do thank you. It's been nice to be around some of the young folks and to see their enthusiasm for life, and their enthusiasm for the things of the Lord. That also has been a tremendous encouragement. And so like life, as it often is, as it goes by in its busyness, we have special spots and times that we look back from time to time and remember how the Lord helped us and encouraged us along the way. So that in some of the more difficult times of our days here on earth, these things can refresh our spirits as we think of, again of what God has done. So we thank you for it. would appreciate your prayer, not to be selfish, but we leave, Lord willing, tonight to fly all night or red-eye flight back to Florida. We arrive early in the morning, Lord willing, tomorrow. And uh, I begin at Camp Horizon, which is a high school varsity camp, tomorrow evening or so. So, anyway, we would appreciate prayers, yeah, for the rest of the week. Uh, So, we appreciate prayers if the Lord would lead you in that way. It's been a real pleasure again to be with Jamie. Jamie is considerably younger than myself, but we have known one another for uh, quite a long time. He must have been very, very young when we first met. And uh, it's good to see him going on in the Lord. And it's good to see that for another reason, which is not that happy of a one, but one that we would do well to be mindful of. Jamie and I both know a lot of folks that we've known over the years who unfortunately aren't going on for the Lord, men that we've studied with and men that we've labored with in certain capacities. And that serves as a warning to us. And it's good to see The going on. Speaking of that, I want to read one verse from the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to turn back to the book of Genesis as we consider what I guess I would call Jacob's finals. Jacob's finals. Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a-dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. I said at the outset we have to exercise some caution when we examine the lives of individuals in Scripture. Not that the picture painted doesn't bring out warts and all, bring out all the fractures and problems in their lives and so on, at least the ones God would have us to know about. But in the final end, one of the things that we find is that God sees the end of a man, not just the beginning. And as you read through the chapter that is here before us, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, you realize that that is what is stressed, and the Spirit of God focuses in on certain aspects of the lives that are found here in chapter 11, some things that you never even would have known about had you not had this chapter. It's an interesting chapter. We think of Abraham again as the father of the faithful and the father of faith and the great exemplar of faith and certainly a case study in how one is justified by faith. The scripture itself will use him in that way. We think of Abraham's faith, he considered not his own body, now as good as dead, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, the Scripture says. And yet, when you come to chapter 11, the Word of God will tell you that Sarah, by faith, received strength to conceive seed. And her name is recorded and observed by the Spirit of God. And so it is with the lives of some of these other individuals. Jacob, yes, there's much that we've said about his life and much that sort of lays the foundation of what is there in the man and of his character. But in the end, what is recorded of him in this one verse of the book of Hebrews is that by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And the last mention, at least in this section of the Word of God, that we have of Jacob, is of a man of faith. A man who worshipped. And a man who blessed. That's an encouragement to me. Because as we noted from the very outset, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He will perfect it. And he'll use whatever means he has to. Sandpaper for the soul to shape you and mold you into that which he'd have you to be. With that in mind, let's turn back, if we could, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 45. And just pray that that, if that is a medical evacuation, that whoever's on that flight, if they're not saved, that the Lord might use this and speak to them, because He can do that. Genesis chapter 45, in verse 25. By the way, once again, At least in my heart, what Jamie has been speaking about, what I've been speaking about, whether you notice it or not, at least in my thinking, there's been a certain dovetailing there. I've been speaking about the man Jacob pretty much in a practical way. Jamie has been bringing for us those great last words that are found in the Gospels and the words in the book of Acts, the commissioning of those disciples who themselves had much Jacob in them and needed a power that was greater than themselves power of the Spirit of God so I see in a sense there was a dovetailing there I want to emphasize that which Jamie emphasized so well this morning but uh, which I hope you meditate upon haven't taken the time to fully develop that which we which I refer to as the prophetic aspect of the life of Jacob and Israel I've sort of thrown it out there a time or two but that verse in the book of Acts is a very powerful one isn't it Lord, will it thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And notice the specificity of that question and the specificity of the answer. The Lord did not say, I will restore the kingdom, but it won't be to Israel. And the Lord did not say, there will never be a kingdom for Israel. And the Lord did not rebuke those followers for asking whether there would be a future restoration of a kingdom for Israel. It would have been easy at that point, and three-quarters of theological colleges and seminaries around the country would never have been started had the Lord answered that question differently. And we might be better off. But the way that He answered that question and what He said to them is crucial. There will be a future and a restoration, not only of a kingdom, but to Israel. The question was one of timing, and so that's very important. Thank you, Jamie, for emphasizing that. In Genesis chapter 45 and verse 25, they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. It stopped. For he believed them not. He didn't believe them. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die and how that old man's heart must have leapt at the realization that the one who was once given up for dead cast into the pit this is a section of the scripture by the way we won't have time to develop it you may want to look at it yourself that is filled with with different kinds of evidence some evidence which was true some evidence which was false But at this point, Jacob sees the evidence and he believes it, that that special son was alive and his heart revived within him. And he who had been given up for dead lived again. And what a picture that is of one day When that nation realizes that that one that was pierced, the one that they pierced, is alive, their heart will revive. God's Spirit will renew them. And the Scripture says a nation shall be born in a day. But at this point we see almost what we had in the book of Acts this morning. By many infallible proofs, by much evidence, The wagons loaded with things. Jacob was convinced that Joseph was alive. And so in chapter 46, we read in verse 1, Israel took his journey and all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will there make of thee a great nation. May I pause there just to say, without any lack of reverence, God does not do things the way that we think he ought to do them. Now that may sound very simplistic. But if I'm Jacob at that point, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, don't do it there. Leave me here and do it. Don't let the people go down into Egypt and ultimately suffer all that they would. But God had a plan and a strategy. And so, it would be in Egypt that they would become a great nation. And perhaps significantly, it says in verse 4, I will go down with thee into Egypt. Another word of caution to us preachers, to be careful how we type things. For we often will say, and I believe there is a way in which we can rightly say, that Egypt pictures for us the world. Don't go down into Egypt. But God went down into Egypt, and God's Son went into Egypt. And so we have to be careful to be sure we clarify what we mean by that. And God went down and said, Do not fear. I will make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt. I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. I take that to mean he would put his hands upon his eyes as he closed them in death. Bittersweet. On the one hand, he would see Joseph, that special son that he loved. On the other hand, that son would put his eyes upon his father's his hand upon his father's eyes as they closed in death. Notice verse uh, twenty seven. The sons of Joseph which were born him in Egypt were two souls, all the souls of the house of Jacob which came into Egypt were threescore and ten. Remember again how God would build a nation, a large and fruitful nation, before ultimately leading them back to the land, which would be caused by a time of great trouble. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? In other words, that Israel and the sons which would be known as Israel, the nations, the twelve boys and the tribes, out of the land, multiplying, amassing certain wealth, ultimately as they would do, infuriating the non-Jewish people around them, experiencing severe tribulation, and through that, be brought back ultimately to the place where God would have them to be through much trouble. Now, in chapters 47 through 49, I just want to speak a bit about what I want to refer to as the spiritual character of Jacob because it's seen more here than it is perhaps anywhere else. In chapter 47... Verse 1 Joseph came and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brethren, and their flocks, and their herds, and all that they have, are come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? They said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said, Moreover, Unto Pharaoh, for to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee, In the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity, or any men of great ability, Among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. (laughs) Now I don't know much about the dynasties of Egypt. Some folks are a lot more acquainted with history and, uh, antiquities and that type of thing than I certainly am. Whenever I think of the pharaohs of Egypt and the splendor of those reigns, I I usually think of King Tut, Tut or whatever his name was. And I tell you, the wealth that was connected with just that one Egyptian monarch. Imagine him sitting there in his splendor and his robes. And here's this old shepherd man before him, the great king of the greatest, perhaps greatest civilized part of the world of that day. And this old shepherd man in his clothes as he comes before the great king and monarch, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. At least as far as we know, there was one great distinction between Jacob and Pharaoh at this point, if there weren't any others. It wasn't just their clothes. Jacob could bless him because Jacob was one who knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Israel blesses the Gentile. What a powerful thing that was. When Israel is in a position that the Gentiles are blessed through that nation, through that man at this point. He blesses Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to Jacob, How old art thou and Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And then you have that wonderful account in chapter 48 of the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh. It's another part of the story that we really haven't focused on. I just throw it out there as a little morsel to stimulate your own thinking about the greater pictures of Scripture. There were a number of things, obviously, that transpired since the last time Jacob had seen Joseph. One of the things is that the man who had been given up for dead who had been cast into the pit and shamefully entreated, rejected by his brethren, had in his period of rejection by his brethren, taken a Gentile bride. And as he takes that Gentile bride and has children, those children are now brought before his father in chapter 48. Joseph was told, Your father is sick. He took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And you might note in these chapters how many more times the name Israel is used apart from the name Jacob. Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession." Now thy two sons Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon they shall be mine. And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. In verse 8, Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and kissed them, and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees. And he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his hand, right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's hand, head, who was the younger, and his left upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me, shepherded me all my life unto this day. The angel which re- redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. He shall also become a people, and he shall also be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he." And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Verse 21, Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Somewhere, Jacob did learn to shoot the bow. The blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh And then what a study it is. We haven't the time to go into it, but you'll notice that in chapter 49, the prophecies concerning the twelve sons. The blessing, if we can call it that, of the twelve sons. Now, Jacob is presented to us in this section in a number of ways. As we saw in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, Jacob was a worshiper. He was one who acknowledged God. He was one who bowed before God and acknowledged His presence. He was one who declared, in that sense, his loyalty to God. Jacob was a worshiper. Jacob was a man of faith. He blessed the boys, and he blessed his grandsons, and he spoke of things to come in the future concerning the nation which could only be known by faith. And only be believed by faith. And only be expressed by faith. Great things. Remember that in this sense, faith was the evidence of things not seen. That those twelve boys, just stop, think about it for a minute. It's staggering to think about. That those twelve boys would one day become a nation through whom The very salvation of the world was dependent. Would God's plan ride upon that? And that He would choose Jacob as a main vehicle through which that would be accomplished. It's no wonder the book of Romans says it had to be according to God's choosing, not according to their works, good or bad, because the purpose of God had to stand. He couldn't let it depend upon Jacob. But it would stand. And ultimately through that one tribe, the scepter not departing from Judah or a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Great prophecy concerning the lineage, the royal lineage of the King and Messiah who would come. It was by faith that Jacob blessed. And then, notice the character of Jacob as it is found in chapter 47 even, in verse 29. You remember the magnanimous offer of Pharaoh, all this land is before you, whatever you want is before you, whatever I can do for you. And Jacob says in chapter 47 and verse 29, As the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he sware unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Here was a man who saw the splendor of Egypt. Think of the burial places of Egypt. Those pyramids. One of the great wonders of the world. And Jacob says, don't bury me here. His body might have been in Egypt. His feet at that moment might have been in Egypt. But his heart was somewhere else. And his heart was in that land that God had promised. And take me back there, and even if you throw me in a little cave in the side of the ground somewhere, he, like Abraham, looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And he wanted to be in that place of promise. And then again, as we saw, he was guided. And you can't help but read that account of the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh and wonder what was going through that man's mind. Because this isn't the first time we read about somebody who was old and their eyes were dim and their sight was bad. And this isn't the first time we read about somebody saying, bring them near to me that I may smell them. And all that had occurred in the early stage when Jacob in his deceit and subtlety stole, as it said, the birthright, the blessing from his brother Esau. And yet now, Guided not by the physical senses. His sight was failing. Guided not now just by what he smelled. But guided by God's Spirit. He switched his hands. And blessed the younger over the firstborn. The rights of the firstborn again seen, But God's prerogative. Prominent now. In the life. Of Jacob. It's a powerful work that had been done in the life of this man. I want to suggest to you that at the end of his life, according to chapter 48, in verse 3, he begins to look upward to the Godward aspect. He speaks of what God had done, how he had appeared to him. In verse 11, that God had showed me His, your seed. In verse 15, God, which fed me, shepherded me all the days of my life. And in verse 21, God will be with you and bring you again. At the end of Jacob's life, he's able to look upward and bless God for what God had done. Don't you want to get to the end of life and be able to do that? Don't you want to be able to get to the end of life and look up and look, look and say, God has done this. And over the span of my life, even though Jacob could say, few and evil have been my days. And I didn't live as long as my fathers. I won't live as long as them. But I recognize God's hand in my life. And then there was a backward look with gratitude. Chapter 48 and verse 11. I thought to never see your face again, Joseph. And how grateful he was that he did see it. And in verse 16 of chapter 48, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let thine, my name be named upon them. The angel which redeemed me, God has protected me and preserved me. He was able to look backward over his life. And so often I, re- I recite to myself the words of that hymn we sometimes sing. As I think of my own life, with mercy and with judgment my web of time he wove and i the dews of sorrow were lustered with his love i'll bless the heart that guided i'll bless the hand that guided the heart that planned and those dews of sorrow lustered with his love mercy And grace. And God overseeing our lives. And as we've seen, He looked outward. He blessed others. He blessed Pharaoh. He blessed Ephraim. He blessed Manasseh. And He blessed the boys. And there was a hope. He looked onward, as we've said. There was something before Him yet. I die, but God will be with you. And God will bring you in. God will come, and God will bring you in. And isn't that one of the great things about our Christian life and experience? It just gets gooder and gooder. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's like the old country preacher of North Carolina, Vance Havner. He had a message he used to preach called, All this in heaven too. (laughs) You know, if this weren't enough, there's more yet to come. The best is yet to come. We got something before us. We got a hope before us. And I tell you, we live in a hurting world that has no hope, no God, no Christ, no hope. We have hope that no matter what happens in this life or what happens in this world or how difficult are our days, that one day the groaning will give way and we'll be with the Lord. And that the Lord Jesus is going to return for us. What hope we have. And so we can look onward. And by faith, Jacob begins to speak prophetically of the destiny of these boys. We haven't time again to take up chapter 49. But as you study what some have called the judgment seat of Jacob. When the bedroom turns into a courtroom. And the boys lives and characters are brought up for review. Perhaps we can remember this one point. That the issues of the future for them will be decided by the deeds that had been done long ago. In other words, the things that they had done in life would decide and play a part into what would happen in the future. And the things that you and I who are believers do in this life will play a role in what our future will be. So it was a powerful thing, as those boys came before him. In chapter 50 and verse seven, Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And they all went with their chariots and their horsemen, a great company. And in verse 11, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the floor of Atad. And they said, it's a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. And now, at the end of his life, the Gentiles gather in the land to honor Israel. What a thing that was, as the Gentiles now gathered and honored Israel. As his life was over. One final thing. The certain influence it had on one particular son at the end of this book. Verse 24. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And you know that Joseph, calling the prime minister, the second in charge, whatever you want to say, that high position he had, most likely could have had a royal burial in one of those treasure houses. But like his father before him, he said, Don't leave my bones here. Carry me up into that land. I've often wondered about that. Joseph, who kept the bones? Did that Hebrew woman say, Now, dear, I, you've got to clean that garage up. You've got to get rid... You can't keep storing all this junk around here. What is that old bag of bones? What good is it? Get rid of it. No, no, dear, we're going to keep those. God will one day visit the land. You've been saying that for a hundred years and another hundred years. And somebody had to die, and somebody else got the sack of bones. And they kept that sack of bones, that embalmed body. And one of the great periods, climaxes in the history of Israel as a nation is that point where they come to the end of Joshua when the land has been conquered and settled to that point. And all throughout that wilderness journeys, they carried those bones. Couldn't you see somebody saying, "What are you doing? This is a wilderness. It's like climbing Half tone. Don't take anything you don't need. You don't want any extra baggage." And they kept those bones by faith. And when they erected that tabernacle in that place, and that house was set up, and they witnessed there before the Lord in at the end of the book of Joshua, it says that there by that place of meeting, they buried the bones of Joseph. And those bones were a reminder, if nothing else, of God's faithfulness. That He had kept His promise. That He had brought them up. That He had brought them into the land. And as they passed by that place of remembrance at that tent, witnessing not only that covenant that they had agreed to keep with the Lord. That would be a difficult thing to do, wouldn't it? How soon they would break it. But they'd witness something else that would remind them that if we're ever going to be faithful to the Lord, we're going to have to lean upon His faithfulness to us. And what a reminder those bones were. And maybe we won't remember all about this book. We certainly won't. And maybe we won't remember much. We trust the Spirit of God to impress upon our hearts what He will. But remember those bones. And remember God's faithfulness in the days ahead. Let's look to Him in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for the work that You did in the life of Jacob. That one like Jacob could be called Israel. And that You would refer to Yourself as the God of Jacob. And it gives us great hope that that one who could be Jacob's God can be our God as well by faith through your Son, our Lord Jesus. And those great promises that have been given to us that seem so dormant and a long time in coming and yet one day the Lord Himself will come and with the Spirit and the Bride, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. We give you thanks again in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.